Welcome to episode 13 of the Triathlete Hour. I'm Kelly O'Mara, your host and the editor-in-chief of Triathlete Magazine. One quick note, I apologize, our sound might be slightly wacky this week because I'm in the middle of moving, but we still have some great interviews. Later in today's show, we talk to Heli Fredriksen, the Danish Olympian, 70.3 champion, ITU long course world champ, and recently retired book author. Haley talks to us about whether she'd rather coach someone to win a race or win one herself, how she's enjoying exercising now versus training before, and the major injuries she overcame in her career. But first up, we have race director Gabriela Gallegos here to answer all your questions about what returning to racing looks like this year, what kind of changes to expect, and she tackles the big question of refunds. All that after this short break. If you've been paying attention to what the pros are doing, then you've probably heard about Whoop. Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on how recovered you are and how much stress you put your body through during the day. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, and heart rate variability. And the way it works is you wear the Whoop band around your wrist all day. And don't worry, it's 100% waterproof. It even tracks your heart rate while you're swimming. You can then analyze your activity and recovery levels in the app. And you can use features like Strain Coach, which gives you target workout exertion goals tailored to your body's recovery for that day. You can even set to tell you when you've hit your target strain effort for the day, like, okay, that was good, now you can stop. There's also a built-in sleep coach, which lets you know how much sleep you should be getting based on your expected activity level for the next day. And it tracks all your different sleep cycles. Whoop is offering 15% off right now with the code triathlete at checkout. Go to whoop, W-H-O-O-P dot com and enter triathlete at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster and train smarter. Optimize your performance with Whoop today. All right, this week we're talking to Gabriela Gallegos, who heads up Race El Paso, so uh, six races. You have two partner events now in Miami and in Austin. So it's a pretty big race company, um, especially for a medium size. Like you've done a lot of cool things, getting like all women events going, reaching new uh, communities. But I wanted to talk to you about this whole return to racing plan. Because you and I were talking last week about all the kind of issues with liability and insurance, and even the thing... Why can't you give refunds? So let's start there. <laughs> Why can't you give refunds? How are your events doing? Are you having to cancel everything? Yeah, thanks for having me. So I've got five events in El Paso and those kind of vary in size. They're fairly small events in the triathlon world. Um, and then one partner event in one event that I produce in Tucson and then the partner events in Austin, Miami. The refunds question is a big one. Um, <laughs> and as every other business is facing right now, you know, being able to pay your staff and pay your contractors and pay your rent and kind of keep things going has been a big challenge. And I'm guessing I'm not alone that about 12 to 13 weeks ago, all income stopped, you know, so you can pretty much predict how many people are registering each week and, you know, kind of see those flows. If there's a jump in prices, you see a jump up. Um, When all of the kind of lockdown and stay at home orders started, that pretty much ended and understandably, right? Because we were all facing that uncertainty of like, who knows what this looks like. But from the race producer side, the uncertainty is still there, right? And so we're trying to manage that and um, have gotten pretty creative about it, which has been, you know, a new challenge, but a good one. And I think people have come around to, you know, virtual racing and some of the other alternatives that we've been trying to put out there. What a lot of people ask me is how come your insurance, because every race company has insurance in case of like a natural disaster, how come your insurance doesn't cover COVID or does it cover COVID? You know, if you have to cancel because of COVID, does your insurance kick in? Well, so most of the insurance, I guess, policies are covering liability for athletes, mm-hmm. volunteers, staff, sponsors, right? So it's if you're getting hurt at the event. It's not necessarily because, you know, your venue is no longer available and you already put down your deposit. So it's not necessarily the financial coverage, but the liability coverage if something were to go wrong Got during it. your event. Okay, okay. So it's not like, hey, you're going to be out buddy. Here's covering you. It's just like it's right. really crashing. If I bought too many shirts, nobody's going to pay me back for that. Right? <laughs> Got it. Okay. And so where are you guys at right now? You've had to cancel, reschedule some events. I mean, we were talking about you're in Texas. So obviously that's a different climate than, say, your event in Miami where your, your location's literally a field hospital right now. So. Right. 
Yeah, so it's a it's a constantly changing environment, and each spot is a little bit different. So even within El Paso, the venues that are city venues are treating things a little bit differently than the venues that are county venues. Hmm. So even some of that within the same municipality is a little bit different. Um, Mighty Mohead El Paso was originally scheduled for April 24th, and so in, gosh, I think it was late February, we moved that to July 25th. Um, and that now has been turned into a virtual race. Okay. Um, and that's for a number of reasons. So the city has decided to not permit races or to not permit like gatherings um, at public parks until at least September. And then it's kind of cautiously moving forward from there. So that kind of already, you know, made it impossible. Um, but we've got other challenges too, right? Like our city pools are not opening this summer. And so we don't have kind of universal access to swimming. You know, there's, there's some country clubs that are open, but that's kind of it. And so that, you know, isn't really open. So getting people ready for it was another consideration. Right. Um, another race that I had, which is a virtual duathlon that was supposed to be Memorial Day weekend. Also, we changed into a virtual race. Um, others we still have scheduled, right? So I'm looking at August 30th for another triathlon and a kid's splash and dash the day before. Um, we're trying to make decisions at least two months in advance of everything, right? So that people have time to train and then also so that we have time to get people to register, right? And to feel some certainty with the race happening. And those are the two things that I think are the big questions, right? Like, will the venue be available, but then will we be able to have the certainty with registrations that's going to cover the costs to even produce the event? Right. I mean, that is what I'm hearing from a lot of athletes is the uncertainty that's frustrating for them right now, I think they get, you know, the situation in the world, but they want to hear from their race director, from Ironman, from whoever it is, yes or no, this race is happening, so I can book my hotel, book my whatever, all my stuff. Um, and I think that's sort of like, that's the big thing that's like driving everyone crazy right now. Right, which is tough, right? Because it varies. So the, for example, the county facility that I use for these races at the end of August they're deciding on a month to month and to some extent week to week basis. So I will know probably at the end of July if I can hold this race on August 30th, which is not enough time, right? Yeah. So I'm kind of facing those decisions and figuring out, you know, does that mean that I postpone that one or does that mean that that one is just not going to happen this year and we're going to make it certain but err on the side of not being able to produce it. Um, and honestly, every part is different, right? So like, we can hopefully say that certain things will be able to happen, but as the climate changes, that certainty is uncertain again, you know? So um, as the only, the only certainty we're able to say is like, no, it's not happening. Right. 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 You could just because, make that call early. Yeah. Which is obviously exactly. what a lot of places are doing just to, you know, commit to that. Um, but if you do go ahead with races, you have some in September, like rescheduled for September. You have one rescheduled for December. Now we're talking about this return to racing plan. USA Triathlon put out guidelines. Ironman put out guidelines. They're, they overlap a lot. There's some very similar themes like self-reliance, you know, not doing in-person uh, whatever, the briefings, all this stuff that I think we would have been okay with like earlier, like not forcing everyone to walk through the, uh, <laughs> the gift shop, right? Like, um, and then there's also like limiting touch points, educating volunteers, a lot of education stuff. What parts of those are you guys considering as you're looking at return to racing? So every part of the production involves kind of all these details, right? And that's what makes it run smoothly. So thinking of it from start as far as like packet pickup, number assignments, body marking, all of that sort of stuff, racking, mm -hmm. um, to all the way through like, what does it look like if there's a certain number of people on a swim course? You know, how do you space those out? So I think race producers are going through every single aspect of that. And each production is slightly different, right? Like some of them may be space limited where that venue means that they can't triple the size of the transition area to make enough space. Right. Or, you know, they're not able to bring in three times the amount of equipment to have bike racks so that there's, you know, four bikes per rack instead of 10, you know, those sorts of questions. Um, this, the going virtual on other aspects, I agree, are probably going to be a good thing, right? Like right. getting a video about like how to check in and what to expect and like go through the pre-race meeting sort of thing like on a video is now I think people are going to be pretty used to that part. Um, 
Other aspects of it are really trying to figure out how do you limit contact and how do you make the actual contact safe, right? So I would expect to see, you know, hand washing stations and hand sanitizer and volunteers and masks and, you know, staff being very cautious with, you know, how you are to line up space out as you're lined up, you know, um, when you're checking in your bike, how many people are allowed to come in, you know, trying to do all of the things that we're being told by public health officials are important. You know, the keeping your hands clean, keeping <laughs> your space and, and wearing a mask. Right. So all of those things are going to be incorporated into every aspect. Um, but the the in-person stuff that can be done virtually will probably be done virtually. And the stuff that cannot is going to be more metered, right? right? So maybe you have a check-in time that has an hour window, you know, and a limited number of people have that hour window. And then another group has a second hour window. Um, you'll probably see more staff because there will be things like temperature checks, maybe even a COVID-19 survey when you arrive to see if you have, you <laughs> Do know, you have COVID-19, right? Symptoms, right? Like, <laughs> You know, even the temperature checks sometimes trips me out because I think like at that point you should be actively sick. I know. Right? And you're also like when it's 104 <laughs> degrees out, we all are hot. Yeah, it's, We're it's get weird. Hot. Yeah, right. yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think a big thing that a lot of I mean, to me, the big question are the pinch points and literally the density. Right. Like, how do you do start corrals right. that look the way they look right now? I don't think you can. I don't like I think you literally have to have half the number of people or a third the number of people. Um, and so. Is that something, you know, you're weighing, obviously you have smaller events, which right. I think smaller events are going to come back sooner and have a lot and be a lot like a lot, look a lot more like what we're used to probably. Right. Well, and they're easier to control, right? Mm -hmm. If you're dealing with 350 athletes, that's a very different animal than 3,500. You know, you can space things a little bit differently. You can use more volunteers that can be more effective with a smaller number of people than if they're trying to deal with a large group. I would expect a lot of starts are going to start looking like time trial starts. So you're not going to have, you know, mass, everybody get in and kind of start in a bunch in the water, but metering that out so that you can space it. So I expect that to be a little bit different. Um, same thing with finishes. You know, there may be two different directions to go when you cross the finish line so that it, is, it doesn't get too bunched up. Oh, okay. You know, like post-race food, post-race medals, that'll probably all come pre-packaged. Um, rather than, you know, it be kind of out in the open and, you know, you I mean, pick your post-race food never really seemed very clean <laughs> in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you're thinking about all those things. And I mean, obviously, what is your biggest event? It's like 500 people, a thousand people. Mm -hmm. About there. We have a, a half marathon at the end of the year that's around 750, but between 500 and 750 are, are the larger ones. And I think a lot of people are starting to think, you know, that that may be what they do this year, a smaller local event. Is that kind of what you're hearing and you're like locally in the community? Well, you know, I'm hoping that that's kind of the <laughs> upside of all of this for all the local producers, right? Like this is a good thing. Returning to local racing is great, right? And that's a way to kind of be part of your community. You're not worried about, you know, am I flying somewhere right now? Am I driving to another location and then kind of spreading around germs that I've brought with me or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so I do hope that the local races are able to thrive and that people kind of rediscover those. I also think that they're going to be the ones that are more easily manageable and developed in a way that people feel safe returning to racing. I also think that, you know, I'll feel better in a smaller crowd, right. you know, and so other athletes are probably going to feel the same versus going to something that might have a few thousand people, if that's allowable at that point. Yeah, which I'm not even sure, you know, once we get to the fall, we're going to see these 50,000 person marathons and stuff. Um, but the no travel is a big factor. I think that's what a lot of experts are saying is we're not really going to see destination races this year as much. So staying locally in your in your community um, in terms of other issues besides the density, besides the education, besides the virtual. The big thing everyone wants to know, are they going to have to race in a mask? Oh, my goodness. So. <laughs> I, you know, I don't even have a good answer for that one. My expectation is that it will be no as you're actively racing. I do expect that when you're running, there will probably be like it'll be encouraged. Um, I think that some race directors will probably be able to make that call and say, like, this is going to be, you know, for my race. This is what I feel is important to do here. If there's, you know, any sort of local authority that they need to follow so that if, you know, more than a certain number of people are in a group, they need to be wearing masks. Um, I think it's a possibility, but I don't expect that to be a requirement for all of these races. 
And I think it's going to vary, you know, just like right now, all the, you know, stay at home orders are varying and what's open is varying. I think some of that is going to vary with, um, with local authority. I'm going to have to make a recommendation because a lot of people ask me this to the buff, like wearing a neck gaiter when you're running or biking. No, that I you actually can then bought a few of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I bought a few of those to try it out because it is much more comfortable and you can take it down really easily. Exactly. You know, and, and your neck doesn't get burned, which is also nice. So yeah, you if know, you so have it. There's the benefits. And then you can pull it up when you're in a dense crowd. It, it does help. I think it, like that's definitely a way. To, and then you're not running the whole time with something restricting your breathing when you're by yourself out in the middle of nowhere. So I'll just well, recommend and One that. other thing to mention is that there's some courses that I think we'll see change as well. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you think about an out and back course that maybe has two out and backs and you're crossing everybody multiple times in kind of a tight two lane situation, um, those might be changing, you know, right. because those might just be like, you know what, there's going to be too many people in too much of a bunch to make this feel safe. No, for sure. I think they're rethinking some of the loops, some of the out and backs. Um, definitely. Yeah. Single loop, smaller fields, carry your own stuff. Guys, everyone, you basically need to get into ultra distance trail running. I think that's that's the direction we're all going. Yeah. You know, like the water stations will very likely be self-serve. You know, so they'll be set up for you, but you'll grab your own cup, you know, which is not much of a modification, really. You know, like that's a quick change to like reach over and grab your own cup rather than to get a handoff. Um, So some of them I don't think will be a major change or disturbance. It'll just have to, you know, athletes as well as race directors, we need a lot of patience, you know, and kind of a lot of latitude to, to figure this out. And hopefully the athletes who are going to the races are giving that, you know, they're willing to um, assume the risk of joining into a group event that they know is taking as many precautions as possible, but is not the same as staying home. Right. So if you're willing to kind of assume that, then I think an amount of patience and, you know, kind of going with it and understanding that there are going to be modifications that are probably inconvenient. Um, and might take longer, but they are, you know, doing the best that they can to make sure that things are safe for everyone. And what, here's my last question. What about spectators? And because that is another factor that everyone's thinking, you know, you usually come with like a crew. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) So spectators are an interesting question. I expect potentially limited spectators, you know, it might be, you know, you're limited to one or two spectators. Um, more than that, I would expect volunteers to be performing a little bit more crowd management hmm. and spectators. I would, you know, easily say spectators need to be a mass, right? And you can't really tell what family groups are family groups and households and what aren't. So right. I think that, you know, trying to enforce the six foot distance, trying to space things out, trying to make sure that spectators aren't all gathering in one spot, but maybe, you know, opening up multiple places to, um, to watch their athlete along the course, you know, that will hopefully be a positive, right? So long-term, they're able to see like, oh, there were all these other places that we could actually push people to, you know, that make for a more exciting course. Um, but those sorts of things I would expect. Volunteers are going to have, they're going to have their hands full, frankly. Yes. Like they're going to have their hands full on this one. You could also, here's my brilliant idea. You could have, everyone only gets one spectator and then their one spectator has to like inch to the stream, live stream it for all their other friends and family. Well, that would be lovely, right? <laughs> That would be awesome. But yeah, you know, it's, there was, um, I did like a Facebook live a few weeks ago when I decided that Mighty Moorhead Triathlon, which had moved from um, April 25th in El Paso, was moving to July 25th. And then in the end needed to cancel for a number of reasons. Um, But part of it was, you know, getting people to think about what does this look like if we're limiting spectators? It's a very um, tight space. So it feels fun, right, when you're finishing because you have crowds and, you know, all that sort of thing. But if you start thinking about limiting spectators, if you start thinking about, you know, we're kind of going to need to send you home right after you finish, you know, there's not going to be a post-race gathering. The expo is going to be limited or non-existent. Um, There's certain things that are just going to be so different that that race, the spirit of it is not going to be captured in the same way. And so is it the choice to continue and kind of like redo what that looks like, or is that one going to be so devastating to the spirit of what that event feels like and needs to be community wise, um, that it's no longer going to be the same event, you know? So, so that was kind of where I was at on that one. Um, but also July 25th is a lot sooner than September or December, right? So like thinking about how this is going to look then, you know, 
is there fear and anxiety that will be associated with it of the, I want to do it. I don't know how comfortable I am. I'm going to try it anyway. I'm not sure that is going to be very different in a couple months. Right. You know, that, that may change. Um, and especially as states reopen and as communities reopen and um, people kind of learn how to function in ways that, um, that they feel protect their health and safety while, you know, being mindful of others, that might change, you know, um, but at this point, it just wasn't possible. You know, before the second wave hits, Gabriella, and then everything right. changes again. <laughs> Once we get out of the first wave. Right. <laughs> right. All right. Is there anything else? That, is there anything, you know, that you want to tell athletes, like the most common question you get, the, the issue that comes up all the time? You know, I think... I think athletes sometimes might think that we have not made a decision because, you know, there's, you know, reasons for it or something like that. We're kind of operating under the same sorts of uncertainties and navigating, you know, all the municipalities and permitting agencies. And some of them are wildly different even within the same city. You know, so it may be that a smaller community is able to move forward with permitting and another one that is larger isn't um, or the other way around. So I think as we're navigating that uncertainty, like I said, patience is really helpful, you know, and kind of understanding that we may not, you know, I get a lot of questions right now about the late August race and I don't have a better answer, you know, other than we're doing our best to make sure that we can make that decision no less than two months out from the race. And that to me has been kind of like the, the good measure of like, if I can at least provide that certainty, then uh, we can move forward. But the uncertainty keeps changing, you know, and so on our end, as well as on theirs, you know, we can't necessarily predict what's going to be happening, but we can do our best to, um, to figure it out as well as we can along the way. Well, thank you so much for, for all the information and for, you know, enlightening, enlightening <laughs> us a little bit to everything that goes into to putting on a race. Thanks for having me. We're triathletes. We like to know how we're performing and how we could be better. We want all the data. And that's where Whoop comes in. Whoop is a fitness wearable that tracks your heart rate, heart rate variability, sleep, activity levels, calories burned, and most importantly, recovery. Every day, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on how your body is recovered from the day before. So you can know if today's the day to tackle that huge workout or maybe adjust and pull back a little, take an extra nap. Whoop is offering 15% off right now with the code triathlete at checkout. Go to whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter triathlete at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover better, and train better. Get faster right now with Whoop. I'm here with Helly Fredrickson, who is the Olympian, ITU long course world champ, famous in her own country of Denmark, right? Big deal? <laughs> I don't know if it's a big deal. Um, I guess I'm I'm known. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in Denmark right now, and uh, I think you're our second international athlete we've talked to. So because you know we're based in the U.S., tell us what yeah. it's like, what it's been like there. What kind of restrictions have you been on? What's what's the situation? Um, so we've been pretty lucky in terms of the restrictions, like no restrictions in terms of uh, being able to go out or to train, to to run and ride. Uh, obviously the the open water, uh, the lakes and the ocean has been cold until now. Um, so none of us has been swimming since, yeah, March. Okay. Um, but, but, but we can start again now. Um, but else, uh, only social distances. And then we, um, obviously, everything was closed. All the shops, pools, fitness center, etc. But else, we've been fine. We've been uh, It's nothing like... Spain right. or France, for that matter, um, which is, is, is very, very close to us, right? So uh, when we saw that that was happening, I think our government was kind of, they did the extremely hard cut. It's like everything is just closed and the border is closed. The, the border is still closed, uh, but will reopen in a week or so. Oh, okay. Um, so it hasn't so, been too bad for you. No. Not at all. Like, I mean, you always go a little bit crazy but I think that's because some things has been taken away from you that you're just used to like you know you can go out for dinner you can go out for coffee and you can meet up with friends and and those things I think that's why you feel isolated but I mean from the way that I've been living as a professional athlete we are used to being on our own and training on our own often and I mean we also used to have high hygiene and always right. thinking about hand sanitizers and 
you know, when you're traveling, you're very cautious of people that's coughing and snotting. <laughs> so, I know. I know. We were joking. If everybody just lived like pro athletes, we probably yeah. wouldn't, you know, cut this down really fast. So. I know. And there wasn't, there wouldn't have been so many. I think also like influenza and the flu right. would be way less if, if, uh, yeah, we, yeah, all of us were like, yeah, crazy <laughs> like the pros are. But I mean, like we can't afford it. Um, you know, the immune system is not so good when we train this hard and we just can't afford it with training and training and training. And then suddenly you're down with the flu or, or down with something and it can cost a week or you just can't afford it. Um, sure. So you just have to be so careful. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I mean, how much training are you even doing right now? You retired last year. So what is yeah. what does retirement day look like? Uh, well, I guess um, I think I train like 10, maybe 12 hours a week. Okay. <laughs> something like that um so it consists of an hour or two hours of of i call it exercise now um so i just go out because i love it um so it's either a run or a ride at the moment uh, nothing in any structure whatever i feel like doing also intensity wise i just go whatever i feel so it's, it's really just uh coming to terms within the beginning uh from where it was training it was structured it was high intensity to like, oh, that's no purpose with my training anymore. I don't even want to do anything. It took a little while or maybe like a month or so to kind of like realize how much I missed it. And I just needed to have this is exercise uh, and I actually miss it. And this is me. And if I go out and, and exercise, I'm in a way better version of myself. <laughs> I'm way better, more creative. I'm have way more energy, and I think I'm a better wife too. <laughs> do you ever like if you're just doing what you feel like doing? Do you ever feel like doing I don't know a super hard workout, or is it all easy? Yeah, like not so hard workout <laughs> anymore. I don't miss the tasting blood and and you know really going deep with like you know Olympic distance effort or the short like two, three, four, five minute efforts on the bike or the run. I do not miss that stuff. I rode a little longer yesterday with my husband and he was like, do you miss, you know, really going deep? He actually asked me there and I said, the, the 70.3 effort where you kind of, when you fit, you get into that good feeling of being strong, consistent, you can hold steady high watts, but it's, it's kind of comfortable. You're comfortable about being uncomfortable. Right. Uh, whereas, you know, a little higher intensity or the Olympic distance intensity, oh, no, no, I don't miss that stuff. <laughs> so I don't really go there. Only if there is a hill I need to get over, especially in the on the run. I mean, it's, I can't, like, there's so many hills here. So, yeah, the heart rate gets, and it gets up way quicker than usual. <laughs> way faster. <laughs> yeah. So I was kind of joking that you're a big deal in Denmark, but not. But it is a little true. Like when you retired last year, it was all over the news there, right? It's like, do people recognize you in the street? Like, how big a deal was that? Um. Yeah. It was. It was quite. It was quite big. I mean. <laughs> so. Yeah. It, it was really nice that. Yeah. That I get recognized for whatever I have brought on on the table, and obviously my results, but also maybe what I stand for as mm -hmm. an athlete. And uh, so, yeah, it was. Um, it, I, I was very happy the way that I kind of stepped out of the professional side of the sport. And you, since then, I mean, I know you have a book deal. I know you like starting to launch a business. What have you been, you know, doing, doing with the other hours of your day that you're not exercising? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, we have been thinking about retirement for, for a while. Like, I mean, not when I should do it, but just like there are a life after sport. And there are many professional athletes that maybe don't think too much about it. And then the transition to the, the life after sport can be really hard. And it can leave you with a huge gap of like, what am I? Right. Uh, the identity of being a professional athlete and, you know, being very good at something and suddenly just being the... I don't know the average Joe and you know like it, it's just it, it can be hard for people um, and I was aware I, I didn't want that to happen so we were thinking ahead um, and trying to kind of plan what what would I like to do when this is all over because it has a it has an end date um, 
And I've always said I wanted to stop at the top, like uh, the of my results. Like I, I still wanted to feel that I still have good results in my sleep, and I still wanted to be like, okay, if I told a line, the other girls know that that I'm in for a good battle. Uh, I'm just not just in there to uh, participate. And I think I I stopped at the right time. It felt really right for me because I was starting to feel content. Mm-hmm. And I've always said, like, if you are content, you are also content about being second, for instance. <laughs> and then you don't want to push yourself those last few percentages, right? And and that's just not right when, you know, it's your life and this is, you know, what you – and you are you're spending so many hours and you're so dedicated and you do everything 100%, 24-7. But if you are content, deep down – it's time to find something else where you can kind of excel. And and that was when we were starting to kind of, okay, what do I want to do? And, right. and yeah, I mean, throughout my professional career, I, via the, the social media, but I've, I've tr- I like to give back and I like to kind of be educational um, and, and try and, and, and give some knowledge and experience to my followers. Um, I believe that there are a lot of professional athletes that we we have a lot to give and we're capable of giving a lot to to amateurs or other professionals that want to learn. Um, and often it's difficult to figure out out there what is what is good knowledge and what is bad knowledge. It, it <laughs> oh, is yeah. really oh, a jungle. Yeah. On the internet yeah. for sure, yeah. Yeah, it is really. And what do you do? I mean, like, yeah, triathlon is, is not a an old sport and and there is a lot of there are a lot of stuff out there there's also a lot of fluff out there so it's like what's what's good and what's bad and I just try to be like as honest as I could and then give as much back as I could um on social media for for many years and I just did it because I liked it it gave me something right um, and then we we just uh, yeah uh, I've been coaching for many years also on the side of my triathlon so that kind of led to like your new boot camp, right? And like your program, you're doing like a, a, I know you're like starting a business and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. It led to that. So we just actually just tried that out. Um, we started in in January with kind of the first 10 weeks to see, okay, can we, you know, are there a market for for amateurs out there that, that are looking to be educated and coached um, as a group, but still individually? Um, and there were, and we had a yeah big group uh, athletes from forty nine countries hmm. uh, signed up. So it was a very very broad uh, group of people, and it's been really moving. I mean, I have never thought that I could yeah touch so many people. <laughs> like I mean, sitting everywhere in the world. Um, yeah, and then. The reviews that we got after the 10 weeks and, and they would like to keep going. So that was why we were like, we kept the, the kind of the group and the community going through COVID, oh, even yeah. though the 10 weeks stopped in March and uh, mid-March. But because people were, everyone were lost, right? What to do, you right. know, what's the plans? And all our type A people, we like a plan. We like the structure <laughs> and it was gone. It's like, when can I do this? We don't know, we don't right? Know. Yeah. <laughs> So we try to kind of keep the group going and kind of motivate people to 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 still be sane and and scale the training down a little bit, but but still like have a group environment, have a community, have somewhere where you can share. Okay, what's going on in Spain? What's going on in California? What's going on in the Philippines? And so and then they they said that they would like another phase, and then we came up with them. Um, this we call you versus twenty twenty. That starts in a week, actually. You versus and 2020, that, yeah, it's a yeah. nice phrase yeah. for this year. <laughs> exactly, because, I mean, 2020, it's a challenge in itself, right? Yeah. It's like sometimes we're just thinking the first half of the year, could we just delete that Yeah, almost? Um, so I think, and then it will be race-specific, educational, uh, both video content, but also training for, for different personalities or for different levels. We will have guest educators coming in, um, and then we will end up, by having um, a kind of a race, but you uh, versus, yeah, kind of yourself. Uh, and it's not mandatory to participate in that race, but it's to have a target. 
mm-hmm. to set a target, but we still, because we still don't know, right? If we, we can get a target or we can have a race this oh, yeah. year. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's just about, you know, setting those small goals along the way. So it makes sense and gives purpose what you're doing really in everything in life. Right. Because that was the same when I stopped racing, I was just, oh, okay. <laughs> well, in, terms now, of training, right, right. in terms of training, why should I, you know, why should I bother? <laughs> but then I realized I just need, you know, purpose of why I'm doing it now. Right? Okay. Yeah. Did you, what, like, uh, I mean, do you come up with like little goals for yourself then along the way now that you don't have like big training goals? Are you like, are there little things you're trying to do? Yeah. So I just, I just saw that what it did to me would, mm-hmm. would give me energy and, and making me happy. And just, uh, I just came back to being like a, a healthy, fit, normal person. <laughs> a normal person. Fine. It was really fine <laughs> for me. It was actually nice to kind of feel like that's super, it's completely fine. Yeah. yeah. I don't have like a, a physical goal right now as, as a sporting goals. I probably will one day right that I will miss it but right now I'm just completely happy sharing and giving people motivation for them to go out and push themselves and okay. and hit targets it's it it yeah it gives me value and it gives me purpose so that's that's fine other people's turn to um, work hard <laughs> and you just stand there and tell them what to do <laughs> exactly and it's amazing <laughs> it's really nice you I also mean, uh Sorry, go when ahead. it moves me, it's uh, it's it's good, right? Then you know you're doing the right thing. If you can get like butterflies in your belly when you see an athlete running a new PB, you know you're doing some some things that that's right for you, right? Yeah, no, that makes sense. So yeah, you you're doing this camp, you're working on your own like business. I know you also wrote a book, right? And didn't you just start a book tour? What's that like? I like, can't <laughs> yeah. even imagine a triathlete on a book tour in the U.S. because triathlon's like not that big in the U.S. But yeah. I know. I well, I got contacted by a big Danish publishing house before I actually retired, uh, and I then informed informed them that I want I wanted to retire in in three months, and they said, but then it's even more perfect because then we can get your whole story. So we started writing that straight after I I stopped. Um, so it's been uh, uh, it's coming out in two weeks now, actually. Okay. Uh, and I finished it like three weeks ago or something. Uh, when it, it went into the print and with all the pictures and it's been great it's been a long process it's obviously it's obviously it's harder than you think to write a book um, because you're very like critical uh, you want to make it good um, so but it's been um, a great learning process for me also I think it's helped me to put my career into perspective whereas I think if I was to write this book either in the middle of my career or in a year, I wouldn't have got the same out of it. Um, I also had way more time to dedicate to sit hours and days after and to write. And yeah. Oh man. <laughs> so, so did you write it, it yourself then? Uh, I wrote it together with a journalist. Okay. Okay. So that the publishing house kind of gave me. So we've done it uh, together uh, because he's like, more of a storyteller and and you need a story one that can tell a story because if if it was just me I would be way too like (laughs) fact-based coming from my science background so it's much better to kind of soften it up and make it more story-like right 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 that makes sense I guess we should probably talk some about your career and your your history you know for all of our listeners who don't necessarily know as much about you I mean you started out as a swimmer very young right you were on like the danish national team you were going to try and make the olympics as a swimmer yeah 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 and then you got burned out and you actually like quit sport completely right yeah i did yeah i already when i was uh, well 18 19 and swimming i i stopped swimming i was just uh, it's just been i got on a national team uh, already when i was 12 so it's i've been very like structured and focused in a very young age and i think that most of my teenage years went with, with swimming uh, before and after school and, and being the easiest teenager on the planet. Um, so, I mean, I think I just needed to be young. Um, right. I just wanted to, you know, let go of all the structure and restriction and being able to say yes to go out with your friends and just not have that uh, pressure on yourself where you want to perform all the time. Uh, and then, yeah, I finished... I guess you would call it college. Right, university, um, whatever. 
something like that. And then I got into uh, university, took my okay. bachelor degree in sports science, my master degree in hum- human nutrition. But as I was finishing my bachelor degree, I slowly got into triathlon. Okay, how'd you how'd so, you how'd you end up getting into triathlon? Yeah, I was um, a personal trainer and a spinning instructor at a big gym, <laughs> okay. and uh, yeah, I had like a group of people that always came on on my classes, and they saw a big poster on the wall in the gym saying there's a, a race called Girl with Power, Girls with Power, and it was just a little triathlon, local little triathlon only for women. Um, and then I just uh, signed up for that thing and ended by winning it. So uh, um, on everything borrowed, you know, how we all start right. in something that a bike does three sizes too big and, yeah, whatever, big backy clothes when you swim <laughs> in that and, you know, how it is. But I guess I just got like a a little sparkle bag of like, oof, this is actually quite cool, you know, the the, the racing element of things again. And I maybe realized that I've missed it. Uh, but still, it took me another year and a half before I really got into it, where I actually moved to Australia, to the Gold Coast, um, to stay there for half a year. Actually, it was in between my bachelor degree and my master degree. And then I suddenly realized how wildly big triathlon is at the Gold Coast and how oh, really? amazing community they have down there and how they are just uh, active, up early. Kids are doing triathlon like kids like in Denmark it was like we were in the 20s before we started triathlon mm. in Denmark so I got really inspired and I got on a yeah in a squat down there under a, a very good coach called Jenny Alcon and, okay. and it was actually Annabelle Luxford that introduced me to all this stuff and on this team there was also Ashley Gentle so it's funny I met them you know and Ashley was this tiny little girl that was so fast <laughs> So fast on the run. So it's funny to have seen them. And at that point, actually, Annabelle Luxford was the number one in the world. It was right. 2006 uh, on the Olympic distance. So I was absolutely starstruck that she wanted to help me <laughs> out. <laughs> Ashley must so. have been like 17, like way younger than you. I'm trying to do the oh, math. Oh, yeah. She was like 12 or 30 <laughs> at that point. But she was just leading the track sessions. Like we, and none of us could follow her at that point even. She was so fast already, and I was just a little girl, right? That's crazy. Tiny little girl. So, no, I've told her the story, and she she obviously can remember. But uh, yeah, it's funny how. And also, I mean, with Annabelle, like how many times we raced each other since that time? It's unbelievable how you know full circle. Um, right. Yeah. So I mean, triathlon is a, just a. Just a side note, it is a great sport that people are just really open-minded and helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, even though that you are the best in the world, you are down to earth to help people. That makes sense. And that's no, just that's nice. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so you kind of like ended up on the squat. You like worked your way up through the ITU ranks, right? Like you did, that's where you started was ITU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because I had the Olympic dream. Right. As a kid, right? And I'd never made it in swimming. So it was, yeah. When I got on the national team straight away that 2006 and and the Danish uh, coach he said the national coach said that he think I could make it um so there was all about that uh, until I made it in London um and then after London so 13 I switched to Sonograph right yeah yeah you actually had to overcome a lot of injuries to make it to London right I mean I'm trying to think yeah. of all of them. There was like a spinal yeah. disc prolapse, which I don't even know what that is. You like had really bad asthma. You had a really bad bike crash. How did you come through all that? I mean, the the spinal disc prolapse. You were like bedridden, like couldn't. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That like it's like a herniated disc. Okay. Um, yeah. So all the way down in the bottom of my lower back. Yeah. Already after a year, um, I got diagnosed with that and had half a year of lying in bed, really. And then building up from that, and and most of the doctors that was around me at that point really said, Helen, maybe you should do something else. Maybe <laughs> this is not for you." And I said, "You know, I've been in this for for a year, really, right. more or less." And I could obviously see where they were coming from, but at the same time, I was like, "No, you know, I've just got the taste of this thing, this amazing sport, and I just believe that I can be good at it, and I love it." So I just wanted to prove them wrong and also see if I could actually achieve something in this sport and uh, 
yeah, so I did so many injuries. Um, yeah, as you said, I had some asthma issues, but I was involved in quite a lot of crashes in, in oh, the really? ITU. In, and, and that kind of kept coming back to my back issue. So whenever I hit the ground, I got issues with my with my back and my hip. So it was always, almost always back related. And then I had ton of bad luck. I mean, <laughs> it's all in the book, <laughs> all my crazy stories. Um, but I mean, like all the defeats and, and all the downs you've had, it, it's, it's all a part of that journey to, to reaching success. Uh, I mean, I think you value your success and achieving your, your goals when you know how hard you work and how difficult it's been to get there and how many times you've actually doubted and how many times you did not want to come up after you crawled in under the couch. Not literally, <laughs> but, but you just want to lie in there and think, this is not true. Like, I mean, how, again, right. you know, something again you have to overcome. Like, why can I not get a, a straight line sometimes to some results? So, yeah, through the first six years of my career, maybe seven, it was, wow, that was bumpy. <laughs> uh, and I would also say it was bumpy when I did long course and, and, and non-draft, but nowhere near as bumpy as it was in the beginning. And I also think, you know, coming from being a swimmer and no impact sport and being in water your whole life to actually have oh, to yeah. carry yourself, I think that played a big impact as well. And, and you know, as a swimmer, you are just cardiovascularly strong, but your, your bones and your ligaments, they are not as strong and your right. muscles as your cardiovascular system. So you just push yourself and you can but your structure just can't follow that fast and you just need to be patient and have <laughs> respect that things takes time <laughs> and that I guess that was hard sometimes to, right. to listen to that and as you get older and more mature you you start to learn yeah <laughs> you start to learn that's good yeah yeah but I mean you think it was I mean obviously you kind of kept at it and, and it, it was worth it it all it all worked out oh yeah okay. yeah I mean we moved to U.S. in 2013 and, and lived over there for four years. And that was when it really excelled my career on, on non-draft and 70.3. And at that point, there was still Olympic distance non-draft. So it was a live fitness series and mm -hmm. Hy-Vee was there. Um, so And I loved the combination of doing 70.3 and then uh, Olympic distance non-draft. It really made me fast um, on, the, on the half distance as well. So the combination of that was amazing for me, and I was uh, we had a house in Claremont, Florida, mm -hmm. uh, where I trained mostly with Alicia Kay, uh, which was also a non-draft specialist in Olympic distance as well. Um, and then we had an apartment in Boulder, so we were just you know the best of the both worlds, <laughs> I think. Uh, Boulder in 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 the summer or the the spring and late summer, and then we went back to to. Um, Florida when it, when it got too cold in Boulder <laughs> so we were living the life I mean we loved it I loved it, my four years in the states for sure and uh I mean that's an interesting raises an interesting question because I've always been curious did you feel like triathlon is viewed differently in the U.S. versus in Europe is it like a different perception yeah yeah, yeah I think firstly Ironman is a huge thing in the states mm -hmm. uh, really like Olympic distance is 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 not as big in the normal population, in the general population, uh, where I think Olympic sport in Denmark is is bigger, right. not in triathlon. It, it, uh, but I think, um, and then I think in general, the Americans are, they, uh, they recognize sports people more than in, in, in Denmark. In Denmark, it's all about you need an education. You definitely need an education to fall back on if mm. your sporting career is not going to work. And they always like, so I'm a professional athlete. Oh, okay, so what do you do next to that? <laughs> I mean, nothing. It's my job. Like, <laughs> so whereas in the U.S., it was completely different. If you said that you also had a master's degree, they're like, wow, how can you do both? <laughs> That's insane. I mean, why don't you just focus on your sport? <laughs> I mean, so it, that's completely different. And I love that way in the States where it was like, you know, you really get recognized for, for being an athlete and going after hard after your goals um, in sport. And I, but I, the Danes are getting a little better. 
They're getting more into sport. Okay. Yeah. Or just really just respecting and recognizing, you know, the hard work and how difficult it actually is to to make a living from your from your sport. Right. Those years that you just mentioned were also some big money because you won the high V Cup, which was huge money back in the or not cup, but the race. Huge money yeah. back in the day. The Bahrain yeah. race. I think you you won like three hundred thousand dollars in prize money that year, which was the most at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That year, not not exactly three hundred, but I won two times hundred hundred thousand dollars in these two races just, and then I had a lot a lot of other good races that year. So uh, no, it was a crazy year, and I I was the most winning uh, female triathlete that year in in prize purse. So I did well that year, <laughs> and I was racing really well, uh, and uh, yeah, I was uh, it was obviously amazing to feel that you found you know, all that hard work and, and all, as I spoke about all the defeats and then suddenly you're riding it and you're just, it's going well and you are racing well and you're winning races and you just, yeah, found that recipe. What does it take for you to, to right. figure it out? Because that takes time and, and it's all different from, from person to person, what you need and how you need to train and eat and recover. Yeah, that makes and sense. So that was just amazing when that finally happened, but then I mean, the year after was uh, completely the opposite. Um, <laughs> from yeah, mid two thousand fifteen, I was basically injured for one and a half year. So, if that was due to fourteen and and racing too much, so if it was due to many other things, um, I don't know. Okay. Uh, but it was definitely good that I did well in fourteen to kind of manage the 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 one and a half year. Of, that was tough. Yeah. Very. Yeah, that's uh, it's a lot of ups and downs, I think, being a pro triathlete. Absolutely. And I think, um, and there again, back to, to the to the athletes and the triathletes, that we really help each other. And, and I mean, when you see, you know, some of your fellow competitors that they're out for a long time, and often we reach out to each other and trying to help each other, encourage each other to to, to keep going and, and even if there are similar injuries that you have had, you try to help them out. And actually in that period where I was injured with my knee for that long time, the same time Lindsay Corbin was injured with her, he, she had a stress fracture right, uh, right, right. for a very, very long time. It was around the same time there. And it is when, when you're out for that long, when you then finally see your fellow competitor or friend back in racing, there is nothing better. You're just like, oh, finally, I'm so happy for her. It's like, yes, yes, he's back, you know, because you know what it feels. It's just so tough to be in it because you never know if it actually is, you're going to get out of it. Right. When it takes a very, very long time, when it, when it pulls you out for, for that long time. That is tough to hang on for sure. I mean, obviously you came back and you won the ITU uh, Long Course World Championship in Denmark. I think that was probably yeah. a big deal, right? It was a yeah, highlight. It was, yeah. yeah, it was It was a big deal uh, because there was obviously a lot of pressure and from the media and it was a good feel and on home soil and, and I raced really well. Um, so my performance was really, really good. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a big day. Um, so just that I, you know, hung in uh, after... 15 and came back racing late 16 and then actually you started to roll again and, and I got another how much is that three and a half year of very good racing before I retired I'm so pleased I did that because that has definitely you know made me satisfied mm -hmm. of my achievement if I stopped when it was looking at it worse at its worst there in 15 I would have been looked back at my career being maybe sad that I did not because I was really writing it when I was just got injured right I was doing so so well and I felt like I got torn I just got pulled away from 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 you know yeah doing well and winning racing and, and as I said just found that recipe and then right. suddenly I was like couldn't even stand on my two feet oh, um, so it's from one extent to another and, and and I guess that is often professional racing right Right. You're high, 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 and then you're that low. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. the, I think, isn't that one of the hardest parts about retiring is that you don't have the extreme emotional highs and lows anymore. You're just more like level. You're leveled, <laughs> yeah. As I said, right now I'm fine by being leveled. 
um, in terms of my own physical needs, but I think it might come again where I'm like, oh, maybe. Um, and yeah, I might, uh, I've always said I would like to run a fast marathon. So let's see if I suddenly is going to start to run um, a little bit more structured. But right now I'm fine with being just leveled. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, if you were going to look back on your career, what do you think was like, what do you feel like was your biggest accomplishment, your best Oh, um, well, I think I was, uh, my consistency through many, many years from, I'll say from 13 till, except the, the period where I was injured, but from 13 till I finished my career, I think uh, that's probably some that I'm mostly proud of that whenever I told the line, I was always competitive uh, and I was always there to, to challenge for the win. And if I have to pull some races out, I would say like, um, my high V win in, in 14 challenge Bahrain. Um, right. I was racing really, really fast uh, at 3.55 um, on that half right. distance. What, what is there. the deal with Bahrain? Why is it always so fast? Yeah, like, so I think we're racing point to point, right? Mm. Um, so it's not that it's downhill, but the wind direction can obviously play a factor. I didn't feel that it was a tailwind or anything in that point, but maybe there was a little bit. Um, when you're riding fast, you, you don't feel, right. you know, tailwind like that. But it was just a fast, fast day and fierce competitive. And Jody Swallow and Rachel Joyce or Jody Connor, I mean, we were definitely racing each other hard. And, and then you get, get the best out of yourself, right? You are pushing yourself beyond the limit and I think for me that day I raced beyond my capability at that point and that was also it came as a surprise to me that I shouldn't be able to race that well already like in my kind of progression in half distance racing so that was also why it stands out to be huh. a big deal and also running a 117 flat and, and it was you know fast you know um, Lisa Norton, Jody Stimson, Melissa Hauschild it was just really, really fast runners as well. And I was just running away from anyone. So, you know, when you do that, when it just comes together, there's those few days in your career where you're like, wow, <laughs> this still gives me goosebumps to think back on those things. So that day, then then I will say, obviously making it to the Olympics uh, in London was, was a, a massive achievement just to get there. And then, yeah, ITU World Championship in, in Denmark in 18. I'd say those four are probably the biggest and memories that I have um, uh -huh. but there are so many <laughs> even the downs can also be uh, all the defeats and but I also say that the travel and the friendships um, and the places uh, many times when when I go out I'm like oh that reminds me that path in Boulder or that reminds me of that road you know it's and it's I think you've just got some some experiences and memories for of a lifetime that uh, if I've just stayed in Denmark and, and, and just, you know, got a normal job after my master's degree, I would never have had all these things. Um, so I feel fortunate that, you know, you are able to get probably two careers um, different ones. And um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've had a lot of different careers, right? Are you going to use your master's degree now or? Yeah, so I am. I've been using it throughout my through career, coaching, actually. Right. Yeah, through the coaching, but also myself. Really, I, I trained myself the last two and a half year of my career. Okay. Uh, ben was looking over my shoulder, but I did all the, the programming, uh, making all the programs, all the structure, and also nutrition, all the nutrition strategy for races. I did it all uh, for myself, and obviously trial and errors. Um, and been using it on athletes as well for the last 12, 11 years. And so I use it all the time. And that's, I'm also using it now in this boot camp. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, yeah, yeah. Physiology and nutrition is all the time. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and I really, really like it. <laughs> I, I really, uh, this is my passion and it's always been. And I mean, I was just lucky that I could also use it for my profession right. for some time as well. Um, well, okay, so we usually finish with like a would you rather question. Uh -huh. And so here's my question for you, having listened to you. Would you rather coach somebody to like a national title, world title, or win one yourself? Oof. 
That is difficult. I mean, right now, I would rather coach someone right. to win a big title um, because it takes a lot mm-hmm. for, from yourself. And right and now, as I said, I'm content and I, I've, I've, I've been there and it's been amazing. But now I want to give it to another person or other people to, to achieve a huge goal of theirs. That gives me a lot of meaning right now. Yeah, I can see that. So it's it's a I would rather myself <laughs> a while ago, but now I would rather coach people to achieve their dreams. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us, and uh, I think it'll it, I think it's been you know educational for everybody. So yeah, thank you for taking the time. Thanks everyone for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Until then, stay healthy.